It is good to be together again this evening. And I invite your attention to the book of Hebrews tonight. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and following in just a couple of moments. We live, as you well know, in a very divided and very wicked world. And it is so important for us to turn our eyes to Christ, to keep our focus upon Christ, and to recognize that he ought to take first place in our lives and in everything that uh, make up or makes up our lives. And there is no book that will better relay that truth in God's word than the book of Hebrews. Our young people are studying Hebrews right now for Bible Bowl, and so I would encourage you from time to time to be mindful of them, maybe ask them a question or two, maybe give them some encouragement. They could probably tell you that Hebrews chapter 1 is about the superiority of Jesus. And there are two things that the Hebrews writer begins to argue in that chapter. There's the superiority of Jesus over the prophets, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And there's the superiority of Jesus over the angels, Hebrews chapter four, uh, 1, verses 4 to 14. Chapter 2 is about the humanity of Jesus. Having laid out the foundation for the, the book, really, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, 1 to 4, and then beginning to talk about his superiority to the angels in verse 4 to 14, the Hebrews writer stops for a brief exhortation in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, that we ought to be careful not to allow ourselves to drift because of the greatness of our salvation. But then in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 to 9, and then in verse 10 to 18, he builds further upon the argument in chapter 1, verses 4 to 14. He has talked about the fact that Jesus is superior to the angels in chapter 1, but now in the middle portion of chapter 2, he'll, he'll lay out the truth that Jesus, for a short time, was made a little lower than the angels. He's talking about the humanity of Jesus. He's talking about the Word becoming flesh, John chapter 1. And he lays out the reasons why the Word became flesh in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 18. After all, you might be wondering, if you're reading this book for the first time, how is it that Jesus can be superior to the angels in Hebrews chapter 1, and yet he can be made lower than the angels in Hebrews chapter 2? So the writer will lay out some reasons that all may be in subjection to him, chapter 2, verses 5 to 9, to bring many sons to glory, chapter 2 and verse 10, to destroy us from the devil, chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15, and to become a merciful and a faithful high priest, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. So we have the superiority of Jesus that is set forth in chapter 1, his superiority over the prophets and over the angels. But then we have the humanity of Jesus set forth in Hebrews chapter 2. He is greater than the angels, and yet for a short time he was made a little lower than the angels. And here are the reasons why, the Hebrews writer says. Now that brings us to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 is about Jesus being greater than Moses. In fact, for the next several sections, or the next several chapters in this book now, the Hebrews writer will focus his attention upon Moses, and upon Aaron, and upon the priesthood, and upon the law of Moses. 
Keep in mind, of course, that the Hebrews writer is writing by inspiration to those who are Jewish Christians. Jews by birth, that is. And it seems because of persecution that they are contemplating a return back to Judaism. And so this book is designed to show them in more than one way and for more than one reason that Jesus and his way are superior, far superior to Moses and to his. So he'll deal with Moses and he'll deal with Aaron and he'll deal with the law and he'll deal with the priesthood. But he starts with Moses in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Let's read it together and then we'll break it down and see if we can make some points. The Hebrews writer says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. I want us to break this down into three sections. After all, it couldn't be scriptural, a scriptural sermon if it didn't have three points, right? Number one, there is the faithfulness of Christ. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Number two, there is the glory of Christ. Hebrews chapter 3, verses um, 3 to 6. The first part of verse 6. And then number three, there is the house of Christ. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, the latter part, verse 6b. Let's look at these together and see if, we can, see if we can find some points of application. I want you to notice in the first two verses, particularly the first verse, I want you to notice the designations that the Hebrews writer uses as he begins to describe the faithfulness of Christ because each and every one of them has some significance. Look at the first word. He says, therefore. And whenever we see the word therefore in God's word, of course, we have to what? We have to find out what it's there for. It is a word that draws a conclusion. And the conclusion, or uh, the uh, maybe not the conclusion rather, but uh, the conclusion based upon that which has previously been said is what I'm, what I'm getting at. So what's previously been said? Jesus is superior to the prophets. Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus became a little lower than the angels, and he did it for you and for your sake. So therefore, that being the case, the word therefore looks back to the arguments of chapters 1 and 2, and it's important to keep those in mind. He says, therefore, holy. Look at the word holy. He is describing us, but we'll get there in a moment, but he describes us as holy. In other parts of God's word, this same word will be used, uh, will be translated rather as saint. Paul, the, uh, Paul will open his, many of his letters, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 1, by writing to the saints who were at Ephesus. And it literally refers to those who have been made holy. But what's significant about now using this word in Hebrews 3 and verse 1 is to go back and read through ver, uh, chapter 1 and 2. And notice how many times the Hebrews writer describes Jesus' role in making us holy. 
Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 for an example. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1. Jesus, by the grace of God, tasted death for every man. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Therefore, looks back to the arguments of the first two chapters, wholly builds upon what he has already said in the first two chapters about how Jesus has made us holy. But then he describes us as brethren. Therefore, holy brethren, this is significant because by studying through Hebrews chapter 2, you will notice that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. And you will notice, look at verse number 12 of Hebrews chapter 2, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And then verse number 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that he through death might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those uh, who through fear of death were, uh, were, uh, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his creation. Is that what your Bible says? He had to be made like his people. Is that what your Bible says? No, he had to be made like his brethren. It is a significant description because what it tells us is that Christ, as we sometimes say, is our older brother. And it is designed to, to present him in a way in which we see this connection or this relationship we hit with him in, in sort of an intimate kind of way. He is our Lord and our Master. He is God and he is Christ, yes. But he also took on flesh and he became our brother. Look at the next word. Therefore, holy brethren, he then says, partakers of the heavenly calling. The Bible will tell us that we are called by the gospel in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. That we are called by the gospel to come out of the world, 1 Peter 2 and verse number 9, and to be the people of God. We are called to serve God and to serve his purposes, the Bible teaches us. And so, therefore, we're peculiar and we're different and we are sanctified, set apart, and we are holy. But this call, going now back to the book of Hebrews, this call is a heavenly calling. One, one commentator described it as being summoned to the heavenlies. And it's interesting to note, for example, in the next section, the Hebrews writer will begin to talk about rest. And in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, he will say, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you should come short of it. It seems as if throughout this book, the Hebrews writer is thinking about this summons that we have as the people of God, as the children of God, to at some point enter into the heavenlies, to enter into that rest in our Father's house. John chapter 14, verses 1 and following where we will spend an eternity. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, he says, consider. The idea of considering is to think carefully about or to reflect or to contemplate or literally to fix our attention upon him. 
The Bible describes Jesus as the head of the church, Colossians 1 and verse 18. The Bible says that there is salvation in no other name than Jesus, Acts 4 and verse number 12. The Bible describes Jesus as the captain of our salvation. And one of the great themes of the book of Hebrews is that we must always keep our eyes focused upon him and upon his cross. Our, our attention must be fixed upon him completely and entirely. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider. Fix your eyes upon now Jesus who is described as the apostle. The word apostle in its basic definition has to do with one who is sent, an envoy or a messenger. But it also talks about someone who is sent with the full authority to represent the one who sent him. And so in this case, Jesus is described as the apostle and high priest of our faith because Jesus has been sent with the full authority to represent the sender. Remember chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. God, who at various times and in various ways uh, is spoken time past to the fathers uh, through the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by whom? By his Son. He is the apostle, but he is also the high priest. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 1 describes him. We talk about that, or he talked about that, alluded to it in chapter 2. He'll talk about it in more detail in later chapters in the book. But the high priest essentially serves as man's representative before God. Jesus will be described as our mediator. Remember in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is our defense attorney, 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 and following. So as we think about Jesus being our high priest, he is a faithful and a merciful high priest. Hebrews 2 and verse number 17, he is our representative in the throne room of God. And then he describes our confession. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession. What is our confession? Brothers and sisters, that is a reference to Christianity. So in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 1, we already have just a great deal of meat to chew on as it pertains to the faithfulness of Christ. We are called to think about the arguments and points that are made in the first two chapters of the book. Jesus is superior to the prophets, he's superior to the angels, and yet he was made a little lower than the angels, and he was made a little lower than the angels for our benefit. We are told then to consider as those who have been made holy by the atoning work of Christ Jesus, those who are brethren, members of the family of God because of Christ Jesus, those who are partakers of, of the heavenly calling or those who have been summoned to the heavenlies, we are to keep our attention, keep our eyes fixed steadfastly upon our representative, upon our defense attorney, upon the one who has authored our confession. Why are we to consider him? Why are we to fix our eyes upon him? The reason Hebrews two, 3 and verse 2 is because he was faithful. The Bible describes uh, the, uh, the fact that stewards are to be faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. 
And as we said a moment ago, the purpose of this section is to present a contrast between Jesus and between Moses. And so more will be said about Moses momentarily. But what we need to recognize is that the language here is at least alluding, if not referencing, language from Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 and following, where in a confrontation with his siblings, Moses stands and God comes to the defense of Moses and Moses, or God rather, describes Moses as being faithful in his house. Talking about the people, talking about the job, the responsibility that God had placed in his hands. And God said, he faithfully carried out the duties and obligations that I assigned to him. But Jesus was even more faithful, if you will. John 6 and verse 38 to 40, Jesus described how he only uh, did the, the things that were the Father's will. John chapter 8 and verse 29, Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 17, he is a high priest, but he is described as a faithful high priest. The reason why the Hebrews writer is calling upon us to fix our attention steadfastly on Christ Jesus as the apostle and the high priest of our confession is because Jesus humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2, he submitted himself to the will of God and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, in fulfilling the will of God. He carried out in perfection or to perfection the will of our Father in heaven. And so therefore we are called to look to the example of his faithfulness and to imitate it. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 21. Now look at the glory of Christ Hebrews chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. Really, we're going to bring verse 2 in with it. The Hebrews writer now begins to break down his argument in comparing and contrasting Jesus and Moses. And I want you to notice, first of all, the similarities between Jesus and Moses. Look at verse number 2. Both Jesus and Moses were appointed by God. Both Jesus and Moses, Hebrews two, uh, 3, verse 2, I'll get it right in a minute. I think I've said 1, 2, 3, 35, 87, and 489 all throughout this sermon. But hopefully you know I'm talking about chapter 3. Both were appointed by God. Both were faithful, Jesus and Moses. And both were connected to God's house, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 2. Both were appointed... Both were faithful and both were connected with God's house. And God's house refers to the people. But now let's look at the contrasts. Look at verse number 3. The Hebrews writer says that Moses was part of the house. He says this one has been counted of, uh, worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. When he talks about than the house, that phrase at the end, that's in reference to Moses. So Moses was part of the house, but Jesus is the designer and the builder and the administrator. This one, that's Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory. Why? Because he built the house. And so therefore he has more honor than the house. Moses was part of the house. Jesus designed it. He had built it. And he is the administrator of it. 
Look at the second contrast in verse number 4. Moses knew God, but Christ is God. This verse that we quote so often, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Contextually, what's happening here is a logical argument that's proving that Jesus is God. Because in verse number 3, you remember that the Hebrews writer has already said, he who built the house is in reference to Jesus Christ. Now in verse 4, he says, every house is built by someone, and uh, God, uh, he who built all things, is God. Well, if the one who built all things is God, and every house is built by someone, and Jesus is the one who built the house, then what's the connection? That means Jesus is God. So Moses knew God, Jesus is God. Look at the third contrast, verse 5 and verse uh, 6. Moses was a servant in the house. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house, the Hebrews writer says, as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. Moses was a servant, faithful in his service to be sure, but a servant nonetheless. However, in contrast, Jesus is the son over the house. Look at verse 6. But, it's a word of contrast. But Christ as a son over his own house. Notice the connection, verse 3 to verse 4 and out of verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, he says, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, I want you to notice as the Hebrews writer goes through and he makes these comparisons and these contrasts with Moses, that he does so in a way that is quite complementary of Moses. You may remember very well that Moses was described as the meekest man in all of the earth, that Moses is described as a prophet, and that Moses was hailed as one of the heroes of the Jews, and rightly so. And yet, with all of that being said, Moses was not able to what? enter into the promised land. Moses was a great man, a good man to be sure, and Moses did much for the work of God, but Moses had some flaws. Notice, first of all, that the Hebrews writer says nothing about those flaws. Why would he? After all, he is striving to, uh, to, to, to make a case to his Jewish audience that while Moses was a prophet and a man of God and a good, great man of God at that, there's no reason for him to disparage him in the process. But notice second. Underneath the surface here, we have this contrast between Moses, who was a great man to be sure, but he had his flaws, with Jesus, who was much more than a great man, and who had no flaws whatsoever. And so therefore, he can say in the middle of this, verse 3, he is counted worthy of more glory of more honor, of more majesty. Notice, or keep in mind, rather, that the, the, the uh, emphasis in this section throughout the book is to keep our eyes upon Jesus Christ. And so far, he has told us the reason why we should keep our eyes upon Jesus Christ is because he has made us holy, because he has made us brethren, because he has made us uh, partakers of a heavenly calling, because he is the apostle and the high priest of our confession, and because he is far more glorious than even Moses. 
Now look how he makes application in the second part of verse 6. We have the faithfulness of Christ. We have the glory of Christ. And now we have the house of Christ. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Notice the emphasis, whose house we are, we as in Christians, as in those who have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, not Israelites under the law of Moses, but rather Christians, not those who follow Moses or not those who find their physical lineage attached to Abraham, but Christians. We are his house. That means we are his people. Go back in your mind or in your notes to our study of Ephesians over the uh, Bible class quarter before last, where we looked at particularly Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, where Paul describes the uh, results or the benefits of grace, and those benefits are reconciliation and peace and identity. And in the section in verse 18 to 22, as he describes identity, he talks about the fact that we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but rather we are fellow citizens and members, he says, of the house of God. And each one of us, in particular, an individual piece, an individual building block of the temple of the Lord that is being built together or pieced together as a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. We live in a world where so many people struggle with self-esteem and with, uh, with uh, joy and with finding contentment and value and meaning in life. What greater value and purpose and joy and contentment and meaning in life can be found than what is found in the truth that Jesus came to die on the cross and to establish a body of which every single human being on the planet, if they're willing to submit to the will of God, can be a member. And when they become a member, that means they can have peace, and that means they have identity, and that means they have a place to belong, and that means they are part of a working, unified whole that is all united under the banner of the gospel, all united under the headship of Jesus Christ. It really ought to thrill our hearts whenever we think about what Christ has done in the church. But now back to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. Whose house we are, we're his people, we're his house, but there's a condition. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of our hope through the, to the end. Let's take just a brief survey, a brief trip through the book of Hebrews. Are you ready? Write these passages down. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our conf- uh, hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disbelief. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38, Now the just will live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now look at verse 39. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Hebrews chapter 11, the whole chapter, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now listen carefully to verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against yourselves, or himself rather, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Let me ask you a question. Just briefly looking at that sampling of passages throughout this book, what do you suppose one of the primary themes of the book happens to be? Don't give up. Don't ever give up. But instead, be confident. Instead, be faithful. Resist, overcome, be patient, and rejoice in our hope. The reason why the Hebrews writer calls upon us to see the greatness of Jesus over Moses, well, there are a number of reasons. He wants us to see the superiority of Jesus over Moses because Jesus is greater than Moses in his person and in his work. He wants us to see the superiority of Jesus over Moses because Moses' way was good. His law was good. It served its purpose. But Jesus' way, Jesus' law is perfect. And that's what, will, that's what will lead us on into heaven. He wants us to see the greatness and the superiority of Jesus over Moses because it is another one of the many ways in which the Hebrews writer is saying, don't give up the faith. Don't go back into Judaism. Don't turn your, your back on Christ. Don't take your eyes away from the forerunner, the captain of our salvation who has already run and already finished the race and is standing at the finish line, arms outstretched, waiting to receive us as we cross ourselves. We live in a world that constantly picks and constantly pokes and constantly tries to grab and to destroy the foundation of our faith. We live in a world that challenges us sometimes just on a daily basis, dealing with the normal issues of life, looking for just a little bit of strength to get us through the day, to move us on to the next day, just a little bit of strength to, to win this battle so that we can move on to the next one. It's a difficult world. But our God and our Savior have provided for us everything that we need in order to get through it. And that's what the Hebrews writer is trying to get his audience to see. Don't go back. Don't give up. Because the joys of the rest that awaits us are far superior to the pain 
that we currently have to endure. Jesus is greater than Moses. He is superior to the prophets. He is superior to angels. And he is superior to Moses. And he has to be superior to every single thing in our lives today. So is he or is he not? Let me ask you a question this evening. Have you put Christ in a position of superiority in your life by becoming a Christian? The Bible says that in order to become a Christian, that a person has to believe in Jesus Christ. John 8 and verse 24. The Bible says that to become a Christian, a person has to repent of their sins. Acts 3 and verse 19. That they have to confess their faith. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10. And be immersed in water for the forgiveness of their sins. And then God will add them to the church. Acts 2 and verse 38. And Acts 2 and verse 47. Have you done that this evening? If not, what are you waiting for? Maybe you have. Maybe you're a Christian. But like everyone, myself included, life sometimes gets difficult and the weight of life sometimes gets a little bit too heavy. Maybe you stand in need of strength. Can we help you tonight? Can we pray for you? Can we pray with you? Can we encourage you in some way? If we can help you to be the person that God would have you to be, then we would invite you to come and let us know while we stand and sing the invitation song.